The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sportbox. Johnson & Johnson pauses the use of its COVID-19 vaccine over rare blood clot concerns, dealing a further blow to Europe's rollout and forcing U.S. officials to reassure the public about safety. There's nothing there yet that's a red flag. We obviously going to keep an eye on that very, very carefully. But I don't see anything that changes our concept of the vaccine and its efficacy. U.S. markets mostly shrugging off the J&J news and an uptick in inflation as the S&P hits a fresh record high lifted by technology stocks. SAP gains in extended trade as the German software giant posts a 32% jump in preliminary first quarter profit and raises its revenue outlook. CNBC sources say Credit Suisse is continuing to unravel its Archegos positions, putting more pressure on Discovery as the lender sells tens of millions worth of shares. LVMH bounces back from its pandemic lows with the French luxury brand beating first quarter sales expectations thanks to US and Chinese demand. So let's go straight in and focus in on this J&J story because we did get some inflation uh, spike yesterday. Uh, The data came in a little bit stronger than the market expectation. But in spite of that, I think investors chose to focus on this J&J story rather than the inflation data. So let's walk you through what we know so far. Johnson & Johnson has then paused the rollout of its one-shot vaccine in Europe. Europe this after U.S. health authorities called for that pause. The FDA and the CDC said the recommendation was out of a, quote, abundance of caution after six women developed a rare blood clotting condition. Well, almost seven million shots of the J&J vaccine have been administered in the United States so far. Europe was set to start using the vaccine from today. So what are people saying about this? Well, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Anthony Fauci, said people's welfare is the top priority. You want to make sure that safety is the important issue here. We are totally aware that this is a very rare event. We want to get this worked out as quickly as we possibly can. And that's why you see the word pause. In other words, you want to hold off for a bit and very well may go back to that, maybe with some conditions or maybe not. But we want to leave that up to the FDA and the CDC to investigate this carefully. So I don't think it was pulling the trigger too quickly. Anthony Fauci there. Well, what about reaction here in Europe? The Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, said a pause of this nature illustrated the safety controls around the vaccine rollout. The risk-benefit analysis is, without a doubt, absolutely unbalanced in favour of the benefit of saving lives, of defending public health, 
of immunizing everyone, in short, of being able to begin to definitively overcome this pandemic. And logically, in that system of controls, the occurrence of this type of stoppages demonstrates the guarantees of the vaccination process itself. Let's take a look at the stock price reaction. Johnson & Johnson reversing in session, pulling back by 1.3%. There have been some lingering concerns in recent weeks about the outcome around blood clots, these side effects that have been reported. And you can see the stock dropping. Uh, some investors thinking there may be more appetite now for some of the other vaccines that have been produced using different technologies. So that's where some of the attention was focused. And speaking of which, let's take a look at Moderna, which says its COVID vaccine is over 90% effective in preventing against or protecting against the virus. This is uh, six months after the second shot has been administered. The company uh, conveys that message to the market. The American biotechnology company cited updated data from its phase three clinical trials as it looks to secure full approval from US regulators, shares extended gains in after hours trade, having risen in the main session amid those concerns over the J&J vaccine. The Pfizer CEO, Albert Bulla, says his company will be able to deliver 10% more vaccine doses to the US by the end of May after ramping up production. This will allow Pfizer to supply its agreed total of 300 million shots two weeks early. And let's get out to Juliana for more. Juliana, clearly big concerns here, but it also comes on the back of AstraZeneca. Just how relevant will this be for a lot of countries administering vaccines at this point? Well, Karen, this could be some pretty significant news for a number of countries around the world, not just the United States. So here's the detail of what we learned yesterday. The CDC and the FDA came out with this joint statement recommending to pause the J&J vaccine rollout out of an abundance of cost caution. Now, they stopped short of mandating that states stop distributing it, but they recommended they pause use. And the reason is because they are conducting an investigation into six serious cases of blood clotting problems in individuals who received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. All six cases that are being investigated occurred among women between the ages of 18 and 48 years old, and symptoms were uh, occurring between six and 13 days. One of those cases was fatal, and one of those is still in critical condition. Now, to put this into context, the U.S. has administered nearly 7 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So the risk we're talking about is extremely small. But because of the rare nature of this uh, condition, regulators feel it is worth investigating. Now, this may all sound very familiar because it's very similar to what we saw go down with AstraZeneca and the regulators here in the U.K. and over in Europe. Now, what's happening in the U.S. is very similar to what happened here last week. Regulators are beginning a similar debate looking at the risk benefit of administering the J&J &J vaccine to all the different groups of people. Now, Johnson & Johnson's vaccine is a viral vector vaccine, which is the same type of vaccine as AstraZeneca. And a lot of experts in the medical community won't be surprised by this news. Uh, take a listen to what Dr. Fauci had to say about the decision to recommend this pause from the FDA and the CDC. This is a really rare event. If you look at what we know so far, there have been six out of the 6.85 million doses, which is less than one in a million. So remember, this is something that we always, out of a, really out of an abundance of caution, as Jeff said, to give us a time to take a good look at it and see if we can get further information. 
Now, in terms of comparing this to the AstraZeneca situation, yesterday in the, a press briefing, the FDA said it is plainly obvious that what we're seeing with Janssen, otherwise known as Johnson & Johnson, is very similar to what we're seeing with AstraZeneca. And the real thing that is notable here is not just the blood clotting, but the fact that it is occurring with low blood platelets. And this is a pattern, they called it, and a pattern that is very, very similar to that which was seen with AstraZeneca. The other two vaccines, they said Moderna and Pfizer, not showing any reports of these events happening. Obviously, huge implications for Europe, which has ordered 400 million doses of Johnson & Johnson, and the company has proactively come out saying that they are delaying the rollout of the vaccine here in Europe. They're also pausing all ongoing trials while they await more information. And the CDC is due to meet on this issue today. Guys, all right, Juliana, thank you very much indeed for helping us understand the story. Let's get to Professor Neil Mabbott, Chair of Immunopathology at the University of Edinburgh. Professor, welcome. Uh, good to have you with us on the programme. Um, is this the right strategy, do you think, for the US to pause this vaccine programme, given that we're talking about six cases, albeit very unfortunate cases, out of 7 million vaccines delivered. Good morning. Well, for a country like the US, this would seem a, per a perfectly reasonable approach. Uh, as has been mentioned by your correspondents, this is a pause. It's not a stopping of the use of this or preventing of, of the use of this vaccine. It allows the US time to reflect on the data they've received, to investigate those cases, and to report back to the public on their findings. This, in the, in the US, this isn't the only vaccine they have available. They're very fortunate in having uh, many uh, vials of the, the Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccines, which they can offer as an alternative vaccine to those which would have been called forward. So in, in my opinion, this is giving the, the authorities in, in the US uh, adequate time to be able to uh, uh, reflect on this and, and report back. We're obviously talking about a, a different shot here, but uh, we've, in a sense, had a trial run of this with the AstraZeneca vaccine. And so we know a lot about the process of, of, of this kind of story. And again, in that situation, we still aren't clear whether there's any causal relationship between delivery of the vaccine and the cases that are emerging of blood clotting. Is it possible that we are identifying these cases because there is this heightened level of alertness rather than it being about the vaccine per se? Absolutely. That, that's, a, that's a very good question. And we, we have to remember, and as Dr. Fauci mentioned, these are very, very rare incidences of less than one million people that have been vaccinated have developed this ex extremely serious uh, CVST or this blood clot uh, with low platelets. In, in the brain. And that's something that the, 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 the medics, the immunologists, the et cetera, will now be looking at into, are we picking up through increased surveillance, heightened awareness of potential side effects from using these vaccines, the underlying level of the CVST in the population? Or is this something that in a, a very rare number of individuals that the vaccine itself might be triggering? And the, the problem is that we don't really know. We don't have an exact handle on the uh, the level, the background level of the CV of, of the CVST in the population. Reports of between three to fifteen million people uh, 
three to 15, sorry, per million people may develop a, a CVST. So you could argue that one, uh, an incidence of one in one million is around the general background level. But with time, we'll be able to develop that. And we should, of course, remember that at the present, we have an association with the use of these vaccine vector, these viral vector, sorry, uh, vaccines and the development of CVST. But we need to, to look further now as to determine to what extent, if any, the vaccine is causing this. And if the vaccine is causing it, then, then why? Um, Professor, as we probe the why, I wonder whether you have any early red flags around the demographics of those who are showing some concerns around rare blood clots. I mean, women, for instance, have been reported, young women in particular. Is, is there something around those demographics that, that raises early concerns for you? At the moment, no. I mean, the, the, the European regulators, they looked into uh, uh, this as well, and they were unable at the time to report any direct uh, link with uh, pre, uh, uh, factors, was the, whether it was to do with age, whether it was to do with, with the, the sex of those individuals, or any other un underlying cause. And this is something we're going to have to look into. I'm aware that the cases in the, U in the US, sorry, are, in, uh, are, are all so far in, in women. I think there have been six cases in, in women of a relatively younger age. Uh, and, and with time, we'll be able to determine whether this is uh, uh, common to, or, or more, more prevalence, I should say, in females, or, 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 or not. And uh, particularly in the, in the UK, not all of those CVST cases have been identified in, in women. And so it's, it's with time that we'll be able to identify whether there are some underlying factors. But of course, uh, I, I've, you, you hear co comments that it's young people, young women at least, and maybe there's a link between use of the oral contraceptive, etc. But of course, there'll be many thousands, maybe even millions of women, which will fall into those categories and, and, also, and haven't developed these, these blood clots. So we really need to drill down further into the underlying mechanism here that might be going on. Professor, the early evidence seems to suggest that the problems are with Johnson Johnson and AstraZeneca, technology that is different to the mRNA vaccines. Why do you think that is? Because, I mean, if you look at the, the early way that uh, this technology has been produced, you know, uh, the mRNA uh, vaccines are a very new technology. We think we'd have more issues with the newer technology, not the older technology. So just walk us through some of those challenges at this point. Well, again, we have to remember, actually, that the RNA vaccines, when they were first trialed, they weren't without side effects themselves. And, and there are a few individuals which did develop uh, serious allergic reactions to them. And, and so guidance has changed since through those. They were developing an allergic reaction to some of the components. Again, very, very rare. But of course, the blood clots haven't been associated with those messenger RNA vaccines. Uh, but for the, 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 the virus, uh, uh, the virus, the adenovirus vector vaccines, we, we don't know. Uh, the, there has been a suggestion this might be a, a similar response to what's known as heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. Uh, and perhaps the virus itself is acting almost like a heparin-like molecule and, and potentially triggering the ability to generate uh, certain antibodies against a factor which can then uh, stimulate our platelets, but this is it's pure speculation at this point, and we need to drill down further into, into the mechanisms. But uh, I think, as has been mentioned, uh, the fact that we are pausing, or, or the, the, the US authorities are pausing these trials, shows that our checks and balances are working. 
when serious side effects are being uh, reported, they're investigated by the authorities and then decisions made. And to keep we, what we have to do throughout this is to keep the public on board. And, and, and through this, we need uh, openness in reporting when we have these cases, uh, but also clarity in feeding back that information to the public as well, because what we don't want to do is increase vaccine hesitancy. Uh, and if we are to get on top of this pandemic, we want as many people in the population as possible to take up their opportunity to be vaccinated. Professor, um, we've had some better news as well, I think, through the last 24 hours. Moderna uh, talking about the results of their study in terms of how long the protection lasts. They're now saying at least six months. Uh, We would hope for a lot longer, of course. Um, What other evidence are we getting that suggests that actually the um, resistance will be more than months, uh, hopefully years? Well, obviously, I, we, we can't predict the, the, in the duration beyond uh, six or eight months or so at the moment because we've only had these vaccines available for that kind of period. But uh, And obviously, as we go through this year, we'll, we'll get more data as we go along. But I think it's certainly reassuring to know that certainly after vaccination, that the immunity that will be detected in people hasn't trailed off within the first few months or so after injection. So that, that holds much promise going going forward. Of course, it's a, it's a, a big question. Will we need to take a, a booster vaccination uh, each year, every two years, maybe every five or 10 years? We, we, we just don't know at this stage. Uh, do we need that booster vaccination to top up our antibodies to make sure that they're at the optimal level to pr- protect us from uh, future encounters with the coronavirus? Or of course, will we need a booster vaccination to protect us against novel variants that might arise over the coming months and years. We're going to say goodbye. Professor, thank you so much. Professor Neil Mabbott, Chair of Immunopathology at the University of Edinburgh. Thanks so much for getting up early for us this morning. For more on the fallout from the Holter Johnson & Johnson's vaccine and what that could mean for the global inoculation push, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Also coming up on the show, U.S. consumer prices rise at their fastest pace in almost a decade in March as relaxed COVID restrictions drive an uptick in demand. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. So we are on the verge of the start of earnings season here and U.S. banking giants will kick off the numbers later today. J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs unveil their first quarter results. Bank of America follows on Thursday and Morgan Stanley will wrap up the week on Friday. Wilfred has more on what we can expect. The outlook for banks is vastly better than it was this time last year, but also considerably better than it was this time last quarter. Since when economic data has outperformed expectations, another $1.9 trillion of fiscal stimulus has been signed into law and COVID-19 vaccine rollouts has been better 
than expected. This will likely lead to significant release of reserves for bad loans, which were built up aggressively last year, but still hadn't really been released last quarter, even if the build-up had been paused. Capital market revenues should also be better than originally thought. The bumper year of 2020 has been extended into the first quarter of 2021. There'll also be a focus on outlook for net interest margins, given significant movement in rates during the quarter. Other areas of focus will be capital return plans, perhaps a shift from buybacks towards dividends given strong share price performance. And on the earnings call, we're all eager to hear more details about the Archegos blowout, both from the banks that were involved, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, and those that decided not to do business with the firm in the first place. Wilfred Frost, CNBC Business News. We have the big story for the markets, inflation and US CPI rose by 0.6% in March. That is the fastest pace in almost nine years and above estimates driven by higher gas prices and pent up demand. On an annual basis, headline inflation jumped by 2.6%, also ahead of estimates. US futures, as we count you down to the session, uh, we are in the green at this stage. Not a huge amount of direction, but earnings season, uh, the other piece of the jigsaw puzzles. Investors waited out for some of those bank earnings uh, to show the big reveal. The markets that in trade yesterday are fresh records for the S&P 500, another bounce of about a third of a percent, but caution on the Dow, uh, down two-tenths. The Nasdaq, by comparison, you can see very strong trade up 1%. Technology very much back in favour. As we saw a reaction to those inflation numbers, fairly calm investors parking some of their fears and very much picking up on that commentary from the Fed that any price spikes will be transitory. And uh, the very tame reaction that we saw in the Treasury market unlocking the gains that we witnessed in the technology space. And you can see, uh, if you take a look at some of those uh, close-up sectors, that tech, healthcare, consumer discretionary, also fresh record closes in the trading session. Uh, this was the extent of it, uh, in particular, that very strong pop that you saw in consumer discretionary. Well, the US technology names, it's the big ones. And don't forget, we are counting down to earnings season. Apple still had a very strong run, 2.4% to the upside. Other big names, the likes of Amazon, 6 tenths high, and Microsoft, 1%. A patch of red around Facebook at this point. Worth noting what you're seeing in the banking sector as we count down to those earnings report cards. We had a little bit of a reverse of the recent trade in session on the banking index, the KBE, yesterday down 1.7%. That was a break to a three-day winning streak that we've witnessed as money has pivoted towards the banking sector on hopes that perhaps some of those huge amounts of provisions that have been parked to one side to prepare for any credit losses may be brought back as you see stronger growth rates now chased in the United States with all of that stimulus. But uh, just a little bit of caution right on the eve of the report cards. Treasuries, I mentioned that yield story, and perhaps this is some links too to the banking sector. We didn't get that uh, big escalation in the yield on the back of the inflation story. You know, there were some fears about 1.77% being revisited. Instead, we've gone in the opposite direction, 1.62 on that US 10-year yield. But I think many of us are just wondering how long we remain tame on this trade. And that is quite key to the direction for a lot of the big indices, particularly because of the technology components. And Jeff, every time you see the technology sector bounce, you do see some fresh records these days too on the S&P 500 because of that link to those big tech names. Yeah, absolutely. Are you a, a fan of Megan Trainer? Oh, no. Megan Trainer? No, I don't know. Where, where is Megan Trainer these days? She's still out there singing. Right. She, all about the bass, right? Yes. 2014. 
the director was there ahead of you, but the audience couldn't hear that, Adam. <laughs> we need so to put a microphone in there. <laughs> but, but the reason I say this, and uh, the, the, the song's sort of been buzzing around in my head for the last few weeks here, because as, as we know, we're, we're now entering that phase where all of the numbers that we get, whether they're earnings or whether they're economic data, we will be able to benchmark against where we were a year ago. And these numbers will flatter to deceive because inevitably, as we look back at that period, what we had was this huge deflationary impetus. We saw demand collapse. We saw prices fall. And all of that because we went into panic mode because the first sightings of COVID were starting to come home to bear. The inflation data yesterday was a little bit ahead of the expectations, but the market look through the number because I think they just said, well, it's all about the base. We know that there are inevitably going to be higher reportings because of where we were this time last year. And I think that's why we saw the Treasury yields fall. And as long as we continue to have a market that's prepared to look through the comparator because of where we were on the 12-month story, then I think uh, we can continue to edge up, up on uh, equity markets because uh, the market's prepared to say, you know what, um, these numbers don't matter for the time being. And actually, everything still looks like the reflation trade is still working its way through and is in place. The only thing that slightly rang strange yesterday was the behavior of the Russell, I thought, because that's, a, you know, obviously a broad index that represents that that mid-sized core of uh, U.S. corporates, and you'd have thought it might have done better given the messaging. Right. So, you know, you talk about comparables, but we're really just at base camp on those comparables. As we start to climb that wall of inflation, it gets much worse in terms of the time. So you're doing Sherpa tensing and I'm doing uh, Megan Trainer here. Okay, <laughs> exactly interesting. Right. I've already got those picks out to climb the mountain. And I think that's what yeah. the market is going to have to witness in coming months leading up to summer, because don't forget, uh, the numbers got way worse. April in particular, May, as we saw the height of the pandemic and the demand really plunging off a, a cliff in the United States. So that is worth bearing in mind as we work throughout these numbers. But I think what interests me on the markets at this point is the wall of money and what's being invested where. I mean, we were hearing this narrative that the US market had run so hot it was time for catch up in other markets. And we did see a glimpse of that uh, in recent weeks around the European markets. But to me, some of that is just stalled now. And what's been quite curious is uh, the money that's flowed from Chinese or Asian markets now into the United States. You've seen it in some of the, the ETF trackers as well. And it's that mindset that we've seen huge amount of appetite around China and the growth story there. Uh, you know, uh, the factory of the world that's picked up a lot of orders because everything else has been somewhat disrupted. Now, investors are eyeing that $1.9 trillion in stimulus money, another $2 trillion odd in infrastructure spending and the inoculation program that has been very rapid. And they think there's a, a huge catch-up trade now in the United States. And I think that's fascinating how that money is now being drawn in again to that U.S. market. As we get some more report cards and if inflation remains tame, it could be very interesting for the U.S. market from here. Well, let me, let me just put the other side of the argument. I mean, the which would support what you're saying here. There are those obviously out there who are saying this is a bear trap. Look at the economic data. We've already climbed that mountain. 
it doesn't get a whole lot better than where we are at the moment. And actually, that means that you've had the best of it if you were invested early. If you are joining the party now, you are effectively picking up the tail end and the risk is heightened that we get some rollover here as markets already begin to price in the end of the reflation trade. It is a short, sharp reflation And then we go back to where we were before COVID, which is the end of a business cycle. And I think you have to make a decision if you're putting new money to work at this point. Are we at the beginning of a cycle? Are we in the middle of a cycle? Or ultimately, are we still at the back end of what was a cycle coming to its closing phases that was then interrupted by the pandemic, which then drew huge monetary and fiscal stimulus? So you have to make a decision, I think, at this point as to how you see the the glass. Is it half empty or is it half full? It's funny, there's a lot of short-term challenges too. This pivot, this rotation away from some areas around these pandemic trends, but then more medium-term earnings need to grow very rapidly to offset any tax hikes. So I think you point out some, some great challenges about the future here on stocks. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.